Welcome to Teach Him Up, the podcast about teaching and learning. Today, we are talking to Dr. Michelle Lefebvre-Burnt, a science teacher and program director here at San Marin High School, about starting and running a small academic program or pathway. Michelle, how you doing? Good. How are you? I am doing okay. We are recording on a Friday afternoon, and I feel Friday afternoon-y. Uh, As my, do I. Yeah. My ninth graders were extra ninth grady today. And you? About the same. Yeah. It's We both end with ninth graders. We do. We do. <laughs> and those ninth graders, they bring it in the end of the day. The, the energy does not subside. They sure do. I had a sub yesterday, and my sub described my ninth graders as energetic but sweet. They and are. That is how I would describe them also. I agree. Uh, I mean, to be fair, I have taught ninth graders for the last, oh dear, 13 years. Um, and I love teaching ninth graders. Um, but then again, I also have the mentality of a ninth grader myself, so <laughs> it works out nicely. Um, okay, so before we jump too far into uh, how to start an academic program, why you would want to start a spe- specialized academic program, um, how did you get into teaching? I started out teaching as a long-term substitute teacher. I was laid off as a senior scientist And while I was looking for another senior scientist position, I decided to do some substitute teaching just to keep out of trouble a little bit, uh, to keep busy. And also because when I was in college, I thought I might want to be a teacher. And my biology major had an emphasis in life science teaching preparation. So I thought I would try that out a little bit. So I had one period of biology a day for the entire year and just getting to know the students and um, working with them. And then as I was interviewing for jobs, when you interview for a senior scientist position, you first of all find out all about the research that that lab is doing. And then you have to prepare a presentation of your own research. And I found that the more I interviewed, the more and the more I was learning, the more I was looking to how I could make that knowledge into a lesson for my students. And then at some point during that year, I decided that I didn't really want to be a scientist anymore. I wanted to be a teacher. Good Uh, choice. So I looked into it and started a credential program. I had to start as an intern Uh because I couldn't really afford to take a year off from or a year and a half off from work. Um, So I started as an intern. So it just so happened that where I was doing the long term sub teaching they were looking for a chemistry teacher for the next year and so i interviewed for that position and got it and then started school that fall nice and you have now been here at san marin for 13 years that's correct yeah i think we started together the same year Mm -hmm. so before you were a teacher you were a research scientist yes uh do you feel like that research science background helps you in your teaching work It doesn't help in the actual teaching. Uh It helps in just having the background knowledge so that I can I can explain in depth and answer questions maybe more in depth and give a lot of uh, anecdotal stories and um, just kind of be able to answer some of my students questions there based on their curiosities in a more complete way. Um, right, like you have the real-world experience of working in the science lab, designing your own research experiments, and so when it comes time to say, like, well, why would science be relevant, really, 
you've lived that experience. Yes, and it definitely helped me in starting the program because I had, again, the background knowledge. I knew what equipment we needed. Mm -hmm. I knew what the important lab skills were that the students needed to learn in order to be work ready at the end of the program. Nice. Okay, so um, let's jump into like starting a small academic program or a pathway. What do you, so together, we are kind of two heads of the same coin. Um, we are both teacher leaders for our STEM Marin program here at San Marin High School. And our STEM Marin program is for students who are really passionate about science and engineering and math and want to uh, pursue that in great depth in high school. So as students come into San Marin High School as eighth graders, they sign up to take two science classes every single year of high school. Um, and when they do that, they have two options. They can go into our STEM pathway, which is uh, more focused on engineering and physical sciences, or they could go into their biotech pathway, which is more focused on biotechnology and uh, like microbiology lab science. Um, so I am kind of the teacher face of the STEM pathway, and you are the teacher face of the biotech pathway. Um, but we kind of got there in slightly different ways, like biotech existed for quite a while before it was quote unquote the biotech program. Yes, so the evolution of the biotech pathway was when I first started teaching here, the principal at the time approached me and said that there was an opportunity to get some career technical education money from the state, a mm -hmm. CTE grant. Oh, it always comes from the money. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, you have these great contacts still and um, connections, you know a lot of people, so are you interested in starting a program? And at that time, it was meant to be really a two-year sequence of courses. Total, it was a four-year sequence, but the first year was just regular biology, regular chemistry was the second year, and then biotech one and biotech two. And then... And how did that go? It went, it was, it went well. The first year for my first biotech class, I had a uh, first biotech one class. I had about 15 students, I think, 15 or 20 students that enrolled. Uh -huh. The year after that, about of those 15, I think five or six rolled over into the biotech two, the second course in the pathway. Uh -huh. um, and then I had, I think I had two full sections of biotech one at that point. And so I had combo classes where I taught biotech one and biotech two together because I didn't have enough students to have separate classes. And so the program just grew a little bit each year uh, in terms of the number of students in biotech two and then also the number of students that signed up for Biotech One. And then at some point, um, there was another grant from the state called a College and Career Pathway Grant that the county wrote with a bunch of different school districts. And so at that point, um, they wanted to make the program into a four-year program that was integrated, which means that the students would be doing integrated projects with their biology and English class or their uh -huh. social studies in their biology class or their social studies in their chemistry class. So I had a couple of years under that grant where I actually had extra release time to work on developing the curriculum, expanding the pathway into a four-year pathway and making the classes at every year level a CTE or career technical edu education class. So there's a separate set of standards for teaching CTE classes. And 
the content standards are really just around work skills. So the lab skills, but also soft skills like interviewing and um, dressing appropriately and writing formal lab reports and uh, things like that. Yeah, like all of the most important stuff that we often neglect to teach kids uh, and then hope that they know it internally or that their parents have taught it to them, but frequently it just kind of gets dropped. Right. And even the things like like keeping a formal lab notebook, uh-huh. that doesn't seem to be as relevant or important in a high school science class, but in the real world, that's a very important thing. So Right. If you can't document your results, then you don't have publishable results. Right. So the program kind of grew that way into a four-year program. And at the same time, you had started, I think, the year before the STEMmarin pathway, the engineering pathway. Yeah. So if we just take a a pause there. So like your start was kind of pretty organic in that you started with a single class that was really like a junior level elective science class. Like kids had taken their two basic science, biology, chemistry. And then as juniors, they could choose to take biotech one and a bunch did. Um, And then that was what, 10 years ago? I think it was 2008, 2009. Okay, cool. Um, so then six years ago, um, we got another new principal, uh, and he came in with kind of an experience and expertise of, uh, running small high schools and small programs within a high school, um, and came to San Marin and was kind of trying to figure out where can we start something cool that will make San Marin a more attractive place to be a student? Um, how can we bring more services to our students? Um, his name was Adam, Adam Littlefield. His name is still Adam Littlefield. He continues to exist. Uh, he's just a principal of a different school now. So um, when he came in, he uh, wanted to start this process of creating a small, you call it like a school within a school, a program within a school, a pathway. Um, and we have changed our nomenclature a little bit as our program has evolved. Um, but I'd say we're now a program, and we started ours as an incoming freshman program. So at that point, we had biotech as an elective course, and then we started what we were calling at that point STEM Marin. Um, now it's the STEM pathway of STEM Marin. Um, and so we started with our ninth graders taking physics and engineering and a math class altogether. And we had, at that point, the requirement that the eighth graders coming in had completed Algebra 1. So in ninth grade, they were ready to start all together in Algebra 2. So we had Physics and Engineering and Algebra 2, and they had those three classes kind of blocked together. The Physics and Engineering were with one teacher, and then the Algebra 2 was with a different teacher. And our program started kind of with 60 incoming kids. Uh, and then the next year, there we had had some decent success, and the community seemed really fired up and excited about uh, having a really cool, positive, uh, project-based, hands-on STEM program. And so the next year, we got a lot more applications, and we had 90 kids. Um, and then the year after that, we had even more applications. And so I think that was when we um, split and started having a STEM pathway and a biotech pathway for freshmen. Well, it actually, so the second year of the STEM pathway, when you had more applicants than you had spaces, we at that point, I had just started working under the pathway grant, trying to make the program into a four-year program. And we didn't have the freshman and the sophomore classes in place yet. Uh I was working on that. 
Uh, and so at the during the application time when there were extra students that didn't have spaces in the STEM or in program, um, I was approached and asked, well, can we just call it the pre-biotech academy for now and mm. accept students into the program, even though we didn't have anything special for them in place yet. yet? So we started calling them students in the biotech pathway, even though we didn't have the bottom part of the pathway Bill, I mean, we had the standard biology and chemistry classes, but we didn't have anything special in place. Uh-huh. So it was that year was kind of a transition. So for those freshmen, they didn't start getting anything special until their sophomore year, but we still considered them as part of a pathway. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, so kind of like as we think through this, um, obviously we ran through these like pieces together and semi-separately, but oh, you were also the sophomore teacher for the STEM kids, the kids in the STEM pathway. Uh, they took physics and engineering with me as freshmen. And then as sophomores, they took biology and biotech with you. Yes, exactly. And that class, the model f- for that class, we ended up using for the freshmen in the four-year biotech pathway. Right. So um, doing kind of like an emphasis on like the academic biology as well as the biology of the hands-on lab work um, biotech component. So kind of having gone through that, I feel like there are some things that are really important to consider if you're thinking about starting a new program, right? Just as we think about the starting part, and then we'll work through all of the uh, ups and downs that we've had in growing our program and the challenges therein. Um, But I feel like our two programs, A, have been successful enough that they are still going six or ten years later um so there's some resilience there and i think we're doing pretty well like our uh our reputation in the community seems to continue to be really positive and seems to be getting more and more positive more and more eighth graders are uh, applying to come to san marin high school and be part of these special programs so i think that's a good sign our students seem to be pretty successful they're uh doing pretty well in terms of which colleges they're attending and that they're Most of them are still really passionate about STEM subjects as they graduate. Uh, A lot of them still want to pursue STEM majors and STEM careers. Um, So that's a positive for us. We don't expect every student to want to go into STEM at the end of four years. Sometimes knowing what you don't want to do is as important as what you do want to do. And we've had kids go to USC to to pursue popular music performance. Um, because they realized by doing STEM for four years and taking eight science classes that their passion was in music, um, which is also super important uh, to recognize. Um, But as we think about kind of like what makes it work or not work, from my perspective, I think the number one thing is that education is a people business. Um, So like the success or failure of something is based on how good the people are. And I would say the number one thing that has to work is having the right teachers, like having the right people in the right places. I agree. Um, but. <laughs> well, and I think um, I think one of the reasons that your program is, is so popular, um, because a lot of times my program is kind of like, well, I didn't get into the engineering pathway, so I'm doing biotech. Um, I think that it's a personality thing. You, you're very outgoing and uh-huh. uh, very energetic, and I think that's very attractive to the young people. 
But I think you need to have a, a teacher that is willing to think outside the box, is willing to kind of differentiate and adapt because you're going to have students that are very advanced and extremely curious and asking really hard questions that maybe you don't know the answers to. But then you'll just have some kids that, you know, have a moderate interest in science and, you know, won't challenge you as much. But you have to just be willing to adapt to what your students need from you. Totally. Um, But I think, like, speaking to, you know, your biotech program, the reason that it's successful is because you're a part of it. Like, biotech really wouldn't exist without your specific expertise and your ability to lead kids through some really cool biotechnology experimental lab work. Yeah, I think I have a unique background Uh um, that not a lot of teachers have, and I think that's definitely been an asset to the program. Yeah. Um, So I think step one is, like, having the right people. But it really, it has to be all the way up the program. Um, Like, one of the things that I'm really proud of is that we have a different set of personalities going vertically up the program. So, like, in ninth grade, they're with me, or previously they were with you or uh, another ninth grade teacher for the biotech pathway. Um, And then our sophomore teachers are totally different. Like, your uh, biotech sophomore pathway teacher um, is a very different personality than you are my like the the teacher that my students go to after me is a very different teacher than I am and then they go to another different teacher um as juniors um and then again another different teacher as seniors some of your very lucky students get to come back and have you again as juniors and seniors yes so now I have students as seniors that I has had as freshmen and as juniors and I always joke with them that they must be tired of me. I joke with their parents when they come to back to school night for the third time in a row. Like, uh-huh. well, you know, why do you keep coming back? Um, but they seem to be appreciative that they've had me for three years. Uh, ideally, I think we would have different teachers at, at every level mm-hmm. um, so that they can have those experiences learning from different kinds of people. Right. But I think while our teachers are different from each other, they're all really strong teachers and they all bring a different skill into the world of those students. Yes. So like for my pathway, um, ninth grade, they're doing physics and engineering. So we do a lot of like building skills, design skills, uh, collaboration skills, because they're working on everything in teams. And it's a lot of public presentations. So it's a lot of communication and how do you present things in a professional manner to like professional judges. We bring in engineers and the kids present their ideas to professional engineers. Um, And so our emphasis is really on, like, mathematical, logical problem solving, uh, physical, spatial awareness, and building. Um, Those are kind of like the academic-y components. And then the next year in biology, um, it's a lot more reading and writing, Um, which is not to say that we don't read and write. Obviously, we read and write in our physics class. But the emphasis is on logical and numerical analysis. Um, And then in biology, things get a lot more smaller scale and they have to do a lot more like critical lab design and lab writing. Um, And then in chemistry, it changes again. And so I think each teacher brings a different kind of expertise for that particular skill set so that students are getting new ideas, new abilities 
um, as they kind of go upwards through the program. Yeah, I I think though that all of the all of the courses throughout the four years in both pathways though they do have some things in common, mm-hmm. and that is a lot of project based learning, a yep. lot of collaboration, a lot of communication and presentations, and a lot of data analysis, arguing, backing up your claims with evidence. Um, And I would say probably the unique thing about the biology and then the biotech classes is it's a unique set of lab skills. Mm -hmm. So different from what you would learn in chemistry, different from what you would learn in physics. Right. And I think your piece there is that the content that the students are learning is important, but it's not actually the main goal of our programs. Um, I would argue that the main goal of our programs is to give students skills that will translate to whatever they want to make a positive impact in the world with. Um, That kind of like collaborative skills, communication skills, um, you know, step one to creating a great program, I would say, is having the right people in place to do it. So ensuring that you've got a strong group of teachers who are able to push that. And we've been really lucky with a lot of our science teachers being really, really strong teachers. But then piece two is having a clear vision of what your priorities are, like what your values are for your program. And I think we, we kind of started when we were building our program thinking about, okay, step one is well, I think we have enough good teachers to really make this work. Step two, let's identify what are our core beliefs? What do we really want students to develop? And then we can develop our curriculum to ensure that that's emphasized. Yeah, so I think when we develop our curriculum, we look at this, the content standards, uh-huh. and we look at, like you said, the core values, and then we design our lessons so that kids have opportunities to be exposed to the content, be immersed in the content, apply the content, but also to exercise uh, the, those skills that are our core values. Right, so when we first started Snemmerin, Um, We had kind of six core value uh, skills, like six main skills, in addition to like the academic content piece. Um, Actually, one of them is the academic content piece. So the six things that we kind of wanted to make sure that every single class was emphasizing was, number one, collaboration. So everything that's done within our classes is team-oriented, collaborative, working in small groups, trying to accomplish a goal. Number two... Uh, We had an emphasis on communication, so that would be like clarity in writing, professional presentation skills, doing a lot of different ways of communicating information. Um, Number three, critical thinking. So that's problem solving. A lot of that is the inquiry piece that you were talking about, like thinking about asking the right questions, um, finding areas that are interesting, and then pursuing those areas, even if it takes you off on a little bit of a tangent because that's where a lot of really good learning happens. Uh, Number four, creativity. Um, And creativity is not necessarily artisticness, like being able to draw a nice picture. Um, I certainly cannot do that to save myself, but it's more creative thinking, coming up with novel solutions, ways of thinking outside the box to uh, think about how could I address a problem and solve it in a different way. Um, The fifth core value we had was work ethic. 
Um, so encouraging students to put forth their absolute best effort in everything that they did for our program and outside of the classroom. So one of the nice side effects is a lot of our STEM Marin students uh, are hard workers who then also put that hard work into athletics or drama or music. And so we've seen a lot of our school programs kind of get stronger and stronger and stronger as hardworking kids who are encouraged to work hard in the classroom and outside of the classroom put that hard work into our community. Um, and then finally, number six is content. Um, in that we want to make sure that our students are learning the academic content that they need. For us, since we're a STEM program, that's mostly science content, math content, engineering design cycle stuff, um, how to use different technological tools, um, but ensuring that the content is accurate and that they're able to kind of hit all of the necessary content areas that they've got. And the science and engineering practices as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, so those science and engineering practices um, being like asking questions and defining problems, obtaining, evaluating, and communicating information, planning and carrying out investigations, using mathematics and computational thinking, analyzing and interpreting data, uh, engaging an argument from evidence, constructing explanations and designing solutions, and then developing and using models. And that's from the Next Generation Science Standards. Uh, you guys have those memorized too, right? Everybody's got those straight down? Yeah. Um, Michelle's laughing because I was clearly just reading them off a set of, of magnets on my board. Um, okay, so you've got the right people. You've got some core values, some beliefs about what you want students to accomplish. Um, you mentioned the importance of kind of like having a face of the program. Um, and I think that's a really key piece is that there has to be a point person, somebody who's willing to really take ownership of the program and be the face of that program. And you are absolutely the face of the biotech program. And I am primarily the face of the STEM component of the STEM Marin program. Um, do you feel like that has been a key component? I do because having a face on the program is important. There's a lot of outreach that we need to do to uh -huh. recruit students. Uh, we do a lot of outreach with the parents after students have been accepted into the program. Um, parents, when they have questions or concerns, they want to know that there's a single person that they can go to to have those concerns addressed if the concerns pertain to that program. So I think those are all important reasons to have have somebody who is that person, that go-to person. Uh-huh. Um, and I think one of the challenges is trying to figure out who that right person is and how to keep that balance. Because both of us are full-time classroom teachers. Um, you had a while there where you had like one period or two periods pulled out of the classroom so you could work on the behind-the-scenes stuff for biotech. Um, I've been a full-time classroom teacher the entire uh, well, the entire 13 years that I've been teaching. Um, and then this has just kind of been on the side in addition. Uh, but I also think that a classroom teacher is the right person to be the face. Like that's the person who's interacting with the students. Um, we were both the freshman teachers for our particular programs. So we were the first face that the students would see. 
um, you've now kind of graduated up and you are the junior and senior teacher for biotech. For this year anyway. For this year. Uh, so flexible. You're able to hold many, many hats. Um, but I think that a teacher is ideally situated because not only do you have to be the face to the community and the parents, but you have to be the point person working with the administration of the school uh-huh. and even the district administration. Um, so I feel like parents and students are going to find a teacher to be more approachable. Um, but you also um, you just need to be able to have that perspective, that classroom perspective, but also know who to go to at the administrative level to get things done that you need to get done. Right. I think the other nice part of having a teacher is teachers are generally pretty personable people. Um, at least great teachers are pretty personable people. Um, and you mentioned that like I bring a lot of energy and enthusiasm, but I think like one of the benefits of having the both of us like we both represent STEM Marin, um, the two programs together. And one of the things that we try to highlight is that our two pathways share all of the same core values. We share all of the same general beliefs. The only piece that varies, and it varies very, very slightly, almost just in order, is content. Um, but the nice thing is that like you bring a sense of calm and maturity that I completely lack. Um, a sense of like organizational ability. So if somebody wants like a legit serious answer, um, you are able to provide that that sense. I remember giving like an eighth grade parent night uh, presentation once where I was talking through like, oh yeah, the, the different technology and the tools that we use. And I was trying to rattle off like biotech tools. And I was like, yeah, so you got the, uh, the pipette and you got the... Um, the spinny around real fast thing, and you were standing in the back going like centrifuge, <laughs> and then you got the the running the gel thing. And you're like electrophoresis, like not not with that sense of disdain, but you have, bring a sense of like calm and organization, um, and I bring a a manic craziness. Yeah, because when you start talking about how to use power tools. And having freshmen using a table saw. <laughs> we actually don't have a table saw. That was the one power tool that I would not put in our uh, our makerspace, just because table saw seems to take the most fingers away. Yeah. And so, you know, my attitude was, oh, that's way too much chaos for me. I can't handle that kind of stuff. So right. yeah, I think we balance each other out a little bit. Yeah. And just full disclosure, we have had zero limbs or fingers lost uh, since STEM Marin has started, since I've had students using power tools. In fact, zero serious power tool injuries. Uh, we've had one or two band-aids where kids cut themselves with a pair of classroom scissors. Um, <laughs> but the actual like power saws, we have been 100% safe with. Uh, actually, a kid gave himself a concussion by standing up too fast and bonking his head into a locker uh, last year. But no actual power tool injuries. Um, okay, so the other component is kind of like, how, how quick do you roll something out? Um, let's say you want to start some kind of specialized small program. You have an idea for like your, who your, your great people are and what content you want to include there. Um, you've got some core values. You've got a face for the program. One of the things that I think works really, really well and was really important for us 
was being willing to go slow in order to go fast. Before we started the STEM Marin freshman program, we spent 18 months sitting down with administrators, principal, teachers, community members, uh, business owners and business leaders within our community. And we had kind of like a little uh, mini planning committee. Uh, We met once a month and then I did some work outside of that to help put together curriculum ideas. Um, But we took those 18 months to really plan out what is it that people think is important? What is our community value? If we're running a quote-unquote STEM program, what skills are important? Um, And what classes should we include? Which emphases should we have? Um, And we ended up going in a way, in a direction that I would not have originally taken us in. Um, Because I was pretty comfortable with like biology. That's what I majored in. It's what I felt comfortable teaching. Um, And as we went through those conversations, there was a lot of emphasis on like, well, we need like some engineering components. And then we realized like, ah, we sh- if we want to include engineering right off the bat, we should start with physics. Um, and I had never taught physics before. I'd, to be honest, barely taken physics. Um, I took physics in high school and I took physics in college, but I took physics for biology majors in college. So it was not like your hard calculus-based physics. Yeah, it I was, took the same one. Yeah, it was a lot of spinning around on rolly chairs and then being like, yeah, when you spin around, there's there's motion and forces. Good, good. Uh, in my high school physics class, I learned a lot about Gandhi. Uh, my physics teacher in high school really liked Mohandas K. Gandhi. Uh, and I, I like him too. Uh, but I learned more Gandhi than physics. Um, So it wasn't a direction that I probably would have originally taken us in, but by going slowly, by taking those 18 months to really plan things out, uh, we had a really clear vision of what we wanted the program to look like, what we wanted all the classes in the four-year progression to look like and include, and what, like, you know, month by month that freshman class was really going to include. For biotech, you kind of did the same thing. Uh, Like, you you didn't necessarily get the uh, 18 months of pure planning period, but you did start really slow with, like, one class at a time. So... Right. So that part of it, the initial two-year pathway, there was really very little planning i think in the spring i started putting together the curriculum i didn't have any release time or extra prep time and i worked a lot on that over the summer Um, and at first we didn't even have the grant money hadn't even come in to even buy equipment and Mm -hmm. stuff like that Uh, but by time we made it into a four-year pathway i had the extra release time so i did spend i had a year There were two years where we had two periods to plan, to write curriculum, to try and find funding, to expand the program. But when the the first year that we had a freshman cohort coming in for the four-year pathway, Mm -hmm. that really was... We at that point we were just kind of making it up as we went along for the first for the first two for the first two years. Right. Uh, we had the biology curriculum pretty much in place, but we didn't have anything for chemistry. So we worked the second year 
Well, we spent the first year that we had the four-year program working on what was going to happen in the second year. Yeah, it's tough to find that balance between planning and planning and overthinking everything and recognizing that like nothing's going to get done until you actually try to do it. I think that that's an important point to make that you can come up with a lot of reasons why things aren't going to work and you can really obsess about all of the obstacles and you know oh I don't know about funding where am I going to get the money for this and where are we going to you know what what if the teachers don't want to teach these courses and you know what if it just isn't working what if the kids don't like it but you just have to do it Uh and see how it goes and then adjust use the feedback that you get in your experience to adjust And if it's good and you're passionate about it and you're willing to put in a ton of work to make it work, um, it'll work. Uh, It might look messy at first. Yeah. But it gets less messy every year. Totally. Um, Like at this point, I, you know, we've been doing this program for six years, seven years. um, And we now have a dedicated makerspace Um, that is like two full classroom sizes worth and I've got probably $50,000 of tools in there like big stand-up sanders and drill presses and uh, band saws uh, and a you know 11 to 20 drills and a bunch of jigsaws and hand tools and you know big work tables Um, but when we started doing it year one I had two drills that I got from Ace Hardware um, and purchased on my own. And I took like two cabinet, two lower cabinets in my classroom and that became my little shop. Uh, I had like a single saw and we all made it work. Like the 32 kids shared the two drills uh, and they just kind of like traded them around the classroom and it worked. Right. Um, the first year of the biotech program, we didn't have a biotech lab. We used the chemistry lab. Yeah. I think like you can make the resources that you have work. And once it's going and people realize how much cool stuff there is there, then it becomes a lot easier to get people to support you, um, to be able to write the grant. Like once, once we knew what I wanted the tools for, like at first I a, hadn't done a whole lot of building of anything myself. Um, and so I was trying to figure, I had done like, I built some planters outside in my house, in my house, but, um, I hadn't had a whole lot of experience. And so trying to figure out like which tools would be useful, I had no idea. Um, so I went to Ace Hardware and walked up and down aisles and was like, yeah, I think I need one of those. And I think I need one of those. And I think I spent probably like a thousand dollars total, um, like thousand dollar budget to outfit my, my room for building um, bought a bunch of sheets of plywood, uh, pulled in some scraps of wood, uh, had a few parents who were cabinet makers and they donated some scrap wood and we made it work. And then you get an idea of like, oh, I really need more of this. This was spectacular. Or this really helped kids build, like get, uh, a sense of learning. Whereas this one was a really fun, cool, expensive tool, but they didn't learn anything from it. It's just, you know, a fancy thing to have. Yeah, similarly, um, starting the biotech program, I had to I had to 
had to be doing some of the labs that were in the curriculum before I realized some of the materials that I needed, some of the equipment that I needed, and also just getting plugged into resources that were available. So I partnered up with a, a group called Bayback, which was uh, the Bay Area, now they're called the Bay Area Bioscience Education Community. Um, and they provided some materials and kits for some of the labs, but also turned me on to um, like these BioLink depots where you could go and get free equipment that biotech companies were getting rid of. Um, I got plugged into local companies that made plasticware, which then I could ask for donations. So it wasn't until I was actually, you know, in the thick of it teaching in the program that I started accumulating everything that that we needed to do what we needed to do. Cool. Um, okay, so I'd like to talk about like some of the challenges of starting a small program like this. Um, but before we talk about challenges, because I think the challenges might kind of bum people out, can we talk about some of the successes? Um, question number one, is it worth it to put in all that work to start a small focused academic program? Um, I think it's worth it from the student standpoint because it, it gives them something, um, special. It gives them something that really makes them feel challenged. It gives them something, um, to kind of exercise their curiosity, um, it uh, really pushes them to to learn more, to want to know more. For and me as an educator, definitely worth it. Um, I like that feeling of building things, um, you know, writing curriculum, um, providing opportunities for students. And especially when you do cool things that you wouldn't normally be able to do in a biology or chemistry class and the kids get really excited, that mm -hmm. is just so rewarding as a teacher. Yep. Um, and so I think it's it's worth it from that standpoint. And I think it's worth it from the school standpoint because it's attractive to students. It, it makes students want to come here. Yeah. And I think the other big piece of it, like from a student perspective, is you're building community. Um, and I think one of the things that we lose track of in a high school, we're a medium-sized high school. We currently have uh, 1,132 students. Um, so like we're somewhere in the mid zone for like we're not a tiny school, we're not an enormous school. Um, but even at like 1,100 students, uh, it's easy to kind of get lost in the high school system. Um, you know, we've got 300-ish students per grade level. Uh, and that's a lot of kids like out there moving around. And I think one of the nice things about these small academic programs is it gives kids a place to belong um, and a way to identify academically. Um, they'll have a belonging through a friend group. They'll have maybe a belonging through a sports team or an extracurricular activity. But I really like that it's creating community around a class. It's creating community around academics and around learning, um, which hopefully is what schools are here to do. Right, and it's a community that endures through the four years yeah. that they're here. And I remember um, the first year that I taught the sophomore STEM students biology, those students were in my classroom at lunch. Um, so not only did they take classes together, but they, they wanted to hang out in my classroom even when we didn't have class and uh -huh. just be with each other. Right. And, um, you know, we've been really intentional about maintaining that community. Uh, so as, like, our programs have grown, 
we have intentionally split into kind of like two pathways that are really, really similar, share all the same values, but we wanted to have two separate pathways because I feel like if you get beyond 60 to 90 kids, you lose that sense of close, small community. I think you can have a pretty tight community at 60 uh, in a grade level. Um, when you start getting into 120 at a grade level, there's now a bunch of faces that you don't recognize um, if you're in high school. And I think there's something really valuable about saying like, okay, these are the 60 kids that you are in a cohort with, and you're going to stay with those 60 kids all the way through four years in part, like, so you better make it work. Like, no making enemies right now. Like, you got to figure out how to collaborate. Um, don't sabotage other groups because you'll be working with that person in a few weeks. Um, and I think that there's some real value in, like, keeping that 60 to 90 per grade level space because I think it helps build some positive community. I agree. Uh, I actually like 60 better than 90. Yeah. I think 90 is a little bit big, um, but I think definitely bigger than that, and it's hard to actually call it a community. I agree, yeah. Um, so you mentioned it's positive for students. Um, I would agree. I think it's positive for students in the moment, and I think it's also positive for students uh, after the moment, like if they're looking at future pieces, going to college, going into certain careers. Um, I think the small program really helps them you know, because they have a sense of safety and trust, they're able to practice a lot of skills. Um, those collaborative stuff, uh, communication pieces are, are risks, right? You have to actually really trust people to make that happen and to be able to fail at it a little bit and then reflect on why it didn't totally work so you can fix it for next time. But if you don't feel like you're in a safe community uh, with people that you know and you think care about you, you're less likely to take those risks and less likely to develop those skills. Yeah, I have noticed a big difference between the students when I have them as freshmen and then I get them back as juniors. They are much more willing to take risk. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought it was just because they were getting used to it through their coursework. But now that you mention that community aspect of it, I think that that is also a big part of it, that they've been taking risks together now for three years and they're comfortable failing together and helping each other to be successful. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece is like, as they think about future opportunities, I think a small academic program really benefits them. Our students graduate with uh, eight science and engineering courses on their uh, transcript and four math courses, each of which is a full year long course. Um, there's not a whole lot of high school students who come out with eight science and engineering classes. And I think that kind of speaks to, you know, a seriousness of academic or like a, a sense of rigor and like, wow, this kid must have really cared. Um, even if we did some of that caring for them and said like, nope, these are the classes that you're going to take. That's, that's what we do. Um, but I do think it's kind of translated to uh, some of the schools that our students have been getting into for colleges, uh, the schools they've been attending. Um, we've been doing pretty well with the kind of places that our students have been able to, to go for their next step. Yeah, and they're able to say in their applications that they've been part of a four-year science program, um, and it shows up on their transcripts that uh -huh. they're part of the pathway as well. And then they've got some teachers who really know them who can talk about their strengths as people. Um, so like the letters of recommendation that you or I or other teachers are able to write 
can be really strong because it's based in specific examples from the work that they've done on a pretty cool project. Right. And not only are they taking two science classes a year, but the first couple of years they have the same teacher for those two classes. So we don't just have them for an hour each day. We have them for two hours each day, which means that we get to know them even better. Yeah. Um, And I would say that on the teaching side, that's one of the reasons that it's worth it, because I really get to know my students. Um, You know, I've got 60 kids, or this year I'm team teaching with Virginia, so we share the same group of kids. So that means I have 80-odd Um, students. Um, And those students, like I really get to know them as people as well as as students. Um, And that's a much more satisfying way to teach uh, because like the two hours that you're able to work with a kid, um, it's not just twice as long. It feels like it works exponentially. So like the first 15 minutes you're doing logistics stuff and then you got to get some talking part in but then you like I feel like I all of a sudden have time to listen. And when I can listen to students because of that extra time, they trust me more, I trust them more, we really know each other better, um, and are able to work and meet their needs better. I agree. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece that you kind of mentioned was uh, getting to do some fun stuff that you wouldn't otherwise get to do in a regular class. Uh, Like, I think one of the cool things of starting one of these small programs is you can really cater the curriculum to what you want it to be. Uh, So I was given a lot of leeway and freedom in, like, create the curriculum that you want it to be, and then we'll figure out which boxes we've checked. And, like, okay, yeah, that was a physics class. Great. You covered all the main physics content. But how do you want to do that? Um, We obviously have a real strong emphasis on project-based learning. And so we focus on like projects and using those projects to learn the content. Um, But it's given us some opportunities to like, yeah, we're going to build some uh, alternative energy cars and we're going to see if we can make those alternative energy cars go and stop right on a target. Um, And now we're going to design some musical instruments that can play a full octave of notes because I like music. Um, And then we're going to use those instruments to like compose some science songs um, but I agree, like the having having those things that you feel like you own, that you've designed, and then seeing students get super fired up on them, there is nothing better in teaching. Yeah, and I hear all the time from the biotech graduates, they go to college and they email me or they come and visit me afterwards and say, you know, I'm, I did this lab in my biology class and I was the only one that knew how to use the tools or I was the only one that knew how to do the procedure or I was the only one that knew how to analyze the data. Mm-hmm. And it gives them confidence uh, because they, they tell me all the time that none of, their, none of the students that they're in college with had the opportunities to do any of those, those things in yeah. high school. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, okay, and then the last piece you mentioned was about, like, why is it good for the school? Um, and I think for our school, uh, when we started STEM Marin, when we started our small academic program, our school had an enrollment of around 850 students. We're now at about 1130, um, which means, and theoretically, our district is in declining enrollment, uh, yet somehow our school has added 300 kids. And almost half of the population of our school is in one of our programs. Yeah. 
I think we're at 400, 480, somewhere in that zone. Yeah, almost 500 out of 1,100 students. Wow. Is that from this year? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so like a lot of our students are doing these programs and coming to our school for these programs. And so I would say that's a huge boon for the community and a big benefit for the school generally bringing kids in who want to be here. Yeah, and those kids need English teachers and they need math teachers and they need social studies teachers. So um, it provides more teaching positions at our school. It just grows all of our programs, not just the science programs. And they need water polo coaches and cross-country coaches and football coaches and cheer coaches and... Mm -hmm. And band teachers. Band teachers, yeah. Drama instructors, directors. Uh, Yeah, and, you know, we're lucky to be supported by great versions of all of those um, so that our kids really get a full, well-rounded experience. So I guess that's the other piece is that we should mention we teach this small program within a comprehensive public high school. Um, We are not a charter school. We are not a private school. Um, I talked a little bit about kids like applying to our program. They do have to indicate that they want to take the two sciences and they have to answer a few questions, write a couple paragraphs about why they want to be a part of it. Um, but we are a comprehensive, normal public high school that just has a couple, I guess you'd call them magnet programs. We're not technically a magnet school, um, but we're a school that attracts kids who really like science um, to come and do this hands-on project-based stuff. Right. And I want to just take a minute to talk quickly about the application process because that has evolved. Yeah. Um, And it's evolved to be more inclusive over the years. So at first, the students had to do an independent project and present it during an interview and they had to show their transcripts and they had to have a letter of recommendation from a teacher. Um, And as the program evolved... Um, we went to an application that was really based more on what are you interested in? Um, are you willing to do collaborative work? Um, are you willing to take two science classes a year? What do you want to do as a career? Um, and in that way, um, the program is open to more students that maybe don't have a parent to help them to build a solar-powered car in their extra time so that they could present it at an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, the um, admission to the program is based on interest and then sometimes recommendation if we have questions about it, how interested the students are. Mm-hmm. Or whether it's the student who's interested or the parents parent. who are interested and in right. perhaps doing a little bit of prodding. Yeah. Yeah. And the application for both programs is the same application. Uh-huh. Um, and it's free and publicly available and posted online so that it's yeah, advertised at all of our feeder middle schools. That's right. We have uh, our middle school students come in and shadow our programs and any student can come. Um, which kind of brings us to the challenge piece. Um, like, I have like recruited, like, hey, let's start with the application piece. So like getting students who are going to be the right fit for our program, students who are passionate about science, students who want to work hard, who want to be part of a small community. Um, You kind of mentioned how we've changed some of the application piece, and we've gotten some pushback for some of those changes. Because originally when we started with the, the full show me the big project that you've done, likely with one of your parents, Um, show me your transcripts that have all A's in middle school. 
um, get two letters of recommendation from teachers. Uh, there was a sense that like, ooh, this is an elite fancy thing. Um, and that it's going to help my kid to get into a better college. Which it does, but uh, that's a side benefit. Um, and then when we when we made some of those modifications, uh, we got some pushback around like, well, aren't you just weakening your program? Like, aren't you concerned that it won't be good anymore? So is it not good anymore? I think it's better than ever. Wow. Uh, what makes you say that? Um, well, I mean, I think it's gotten better than ever for other reasons besides the fact that we changed the application process. Yeah, I think the application process was a drip in a very large bucket. Um, I think it's better than ever because it's meeting the needs of more students. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, I don't want to use the phrase levels the playing field, but I think that having that kind of uh, open application like that um, it just allows more opportunities for more students. Yeah. Well, I mean, we do have a strong belief in equity, um, like programmatically and as a school and as a district. Uh, so we want to make sure that we are getting a well-balanced view of our community into our small academic programs. Um, we don't want to be gatekeepers based on family income or ethnic background or gender. Uh, we want to make sure that we are getting a representative sample because students are going to be leaving our school and going into our community and working with a representative sample of people. Um, and having a representative sample of our community makes us a stronger program. Um, I think it helps us get great people from all different backgrounds, and then we get to learn from all of each other's strengths. Um, so, you know, yes, we've, we've definitely had kind of an equity component there. Um, and I agree. I, I don't think we've lost any strength at all. In fact, I would say we have continued to strengthen. We've got the same great teachers teaching the same great classes. Uh, we've got students who continue to want to work really hard and are doing really good work. Um, and I actually, I haven't seen a drop off in the quality of student work. Have you? No. Um, and we still have students going to the same great colleges. Yeah. Um, and, well, doing the things that they want to do, pursuing their passions after high school. Yeah, which is kind of exciting. Um, I mean, it's nice to see, like, but that has definitely been a challenge for us. Um, so let's get into kind of like the challenges section. Um, one of our challenges has been recruiting students. Uh, some of that recruiting has kind of been done for us by our own reputation. But I will say, since we ha like as we've tried to make sure that we have a representative student body, um, that we keep a focus on uh, equity and recruiting low socioeconomic status students, um, students of both genders for both programs, um, that's been a challenge. Uh, it's, it's great to like say, we believe in equity. But the actual practice of it, even as we make our application available to everybody, even as we reach out to our AVID classes uh, in the middle schools and encourage them to have their AVID um, first generation to college students apply to our programs, um, it's really tough to get all the kids that we would like to apply into our programs. 
Yeah, unfortunately, there's a perception, um, even though we really are trying to to address it and make the program as inclusive as possible, there is a perception that maybe science isn't for a particular student or um, a special program like that. That's not really for me. Um, And I think also publicizing the program is is tricky when there's a language barrier. Mm. Okay, so I think that's been part of it. Um, well, and then the resource component too. If we're doing a lot of these evening outreach programs, but families have parents who work in the evenings, um, and typically that would be lower socioeconomic uh, status families, then they're not able to make it to those outreach evenings. They don't have the resources to get there or to know that it's going on. Um, and that becomes challenging too. We feel like we're doing what we can, but that communication still isn't quite happening. Yes. And again, I think there's a perception in our community, in our society, that only certain kinds of students are going to be successful in these kinds of programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something, so that's where a lot of the, the pushback comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, well, that student doesn't look like mine, and I know my student is going to be very successful, so letting that student in is somehow going to make the program, you know, not as high quality. Right, as, and I don't think that people are even thinking that consciously. It's. I think it's a lot of subconscious, subconscious. of, like, that student's not as good of a student as my student. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't put my finger on why he's not as good of a student, but I know he's not as good of a student. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think there's an intent there, but I agree. It ends up turning out that like, oh, the students who have less family resources are the ones who are not as good of a student, quote unquote. Um, and that doesn't turn out to be the case. Nope, not um, at all. Turns out that a lot of our low-income students from minority backgrounds uh, and underrepresented genders in whichever field do really, really well uh, and end up, you know, kind of setting the curve for a lot of our classes. Um, Not that we grade on a curve, but they perform very well and do great work. Um, So... But then it's tricky to balance. You don't want to dismiss concerns of the community, but at the same time, sometimes you just have to ignore some of the things that people are pushing back on and just press on. Right, which kind of brings us to another component, um, which is like sometimes we, at least in the early years, we were getting some pushback from parents or from students that I would say was like in the, in the zone of like, well, why isn't it perfect? Um, like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, like it's, it's a fine class and it's like a better class than the class that I would take otherwise, but I'm still not happy with it because it's not perfect. Like I'd like to tweak this tiny little thing and I'm going to complain about that thing. Uh, and then it was like, okay, well your option is either like take the class that you signed up to take or take the other class. That's one science class per year not two science classes per year. And they're like, oh, no, 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 I want to stay in the special class, stay in the special program. I want the two science classes. Yeah, and so the problem is perfect, is different for every student. Uh, But there was definitely a sense of entitlement at the beginning uh, when we started the programs. Like, I'm, I'm really something. 
and uh, I have better. I have an idea of how this program can be better. Mm. Yeah, I know so you, more than the teacher kind just, of thing. Just because you have a teaching credential and a master's degree and a PhD in biology, you think you know biology and teaching. Uh, but different people have different perspectives. Um, so I, I think, you know, that, and, and as you mentioned, like, we want to hear the community perspective. Um, but it's tough because the way human brains work is we really only internalize the negative at least I mm-hmm. only internalize the negative. I can get, you know, a hundred compliments, but if somebody says something with a slight bite to it, that's the one that I'll be up at three in the morning thinking about, um, and thinking about like, no, he was wrong. I I do have this right, but still, I'm up at three in the morning talking it over to myself. Right, and when we think back, you know, really there might have only been a couple of kind of vocal complainers and a lot of really supportive parents and students. But uh-huh. you're right, we we don't we don't remember all the supportive parents and students. We just remember the ones that were displeased. Right. Um, last year, I mean, on a slight tangential note, last year I had uh, a few students who were uh, giving me a tough time behaviorally or effort-wise. Um, and I was starting to get frustrated, like, God, this group of students just doesn't want to work. And then I had to go through and, like, actually look name by name and realize that, like, 90% of my students were awesome. Um, I just had, like, two or three who were giving me a tough time, who are still good people, but were giving me a bit of a tough time in class. And then I went back and I started, like, writing positive emails home, like letters to the kids' parents um, who were doing an awesome job. And I wrote 15 or 20 of them. And I was like, oh, I feel so much better. And then because I wrote a positive email home, they wrote a really positive email back. It was just like a way of giving myself a little weekend present of like, oh, we are so appreciative of all the hard work you're putting in. Thank you so much. Um, I was like, ah, I got to do that more often. Um, Because it did. It like changed my perspective around, no, it's not you people, like these students are bad. It's, I'm having a slight personality conflict with one or two kids. Yes. Uh, but when you're in the midst of it, it's really tough to remember how to do that. And when you put so much energy into it, you put so much of yourself into it and so much of your own personal time into it, you're uh-huh. making all of these sacrifices and then to get mm-hmm. negative feedback is is daunting. It is. And that's when you start, you ask yourself, why am I doing this? I don't have to do this. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the tricky piece. Like, like on an hourly basis, it's a heck of a lot easier for time-wise to not start a special academic program. Uh, to keep doing the standard of what you're doing, uh, roll out the lessons from last year, and you're good to go. Um, it is. A, it's a huge investment of time. The benefit of it is you get to do some really cool things and have some really positive feedback and help kids in what I think are really important ways. The downside is when you do something different, you're going to get one or two challenges. Um, and then you got to figure out how to how to manage those challenges and how to hear the genuine concern about one or two things that you actually can tweak and improve. And we have. We've managed to slightly tweak and improve things every single year. Like, oh, that project didn't work. Uh, I thought it was going to go this way. And the kids did not see it the same way that I saw it, and they didn't get out of it what I wanted them to get out of it. Huh. Maybe I need to rework that project because it looks like it was pretty universally, like 75% of my students' least favorite 
project. And then at the end, when I gave them an assessment, they didn't learn what I hoped they would learn. Okay, let's toss that one and let's try to replace it with something that does teach them what I want it to. I think it's important when you're going through those kind of growing pains and and working out the bugs that you have the support of your administrators mm, who, yep. who don't take those complaints and come to you and say, you know, you got to change this because, you know, we have to make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. But to know that they have your back um, and that they're going to support you and give you the time and the space and the resources to make improvements and make changes. Totally. Um, and to recognize, like, the great work that you are doing. Um, and... To be fair, both of us have gotten some of that great work feedback. Um, we've had very supportive administrators. Yes. Support from the district level, mm-hmm. support from our site, admi- especially our site administrators. Mm-hmm. Um, our school board members. School board members. Um, and so, and we've gotten some like outside awards. You've picked up what, two Golden Bells and two Rotary Teacher of the Years, one Rotary Teacher of the Year? One Rotary, and yeah, two Golden Bells. Yeah, Golden Bell is our Marin County. Uh, school teacher of the year. Um, so like, you know, the good work, the extra effort has been seen, has been recognized. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So one last case that I kind of want to talk about with challenge, cause it was one that was really interesting to me. Both biotech and STEM are science pathways. Um, they're STEM focused pathways. When we started biotech as an option for freshmen, And the first year we did it, we gave students complete choice. Like you applied to STEM Marin, and then you selected either I want to do the biotech pathway or I want to do the STEM pathway within STEM Marin. And the first year we just said, all right, whichever one students want to do, that's the one they'll go in. um, And perfect. Everybody's getting what they want. And what we found was uh, the biotech pathway ended up with 80% girls. And the STEM pathway ended up with 75% boys. And I think there's some degree of that could just be friend groups trying to stay with friend groups. Like you want to stay with your buddies. And that's actually something that we kind of encourage um, because you're going to do good work if you have people that you're comfortable with and you uh, have worked with previously and like. Um, It's nice to have friends in your class. But the other piece of it is, um, at least I, I think, there's a degree of kind of going to the stereotypes. You talked about like beliefs about which people do certain types of science. Um, And I think there is a cultural belief that women tend to go into life sciences and men tend to go into physical sciences. And I say that as a man who went into life sciences, majored in evolution and ecology. Uh, Granted, now I teach physics and engineering. But you see that at the college level and even at the graduate level, where you have far more females in the life science programs, the life science majors, as Uh you see in the physical science. And even at the graduate level, uh, I think that only like three or four percent of all PhDs in physics are female, for example, whereas 50 percent of them in the life sciences are female. Yeah. Um, And I think, I mean, there could be a component there where like life sciences may be seen as helping people more, like you you see a more direct connection to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And women traditionally uh, are better people than men are. Uh, like they care for other people and treat them with kindness. 
Um, and so, like, caring for people may be a positive piece of life sciences that attracts more women. Um, the physics engineering side might have more, like, you know, doing stuff, building stuff that might attract hands-on males, boys. Um, but it, it was a tricky, like, it's tricky on a national scale and on a global scale because it would be nice to have better balance uh, in different subject areas. But it was really tricky. I mean, on a local scale for our particular programs, it was tricky because the classroom dynamics are really different if you're 75, 25 boys um, or 80, 20 girls. You end up with like five boys in that class. And that's a different experience. Yeah. And, you know, that 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 the first class that was such a low percentage of boys as they moved up in years, the boys kind of tended to want to leave the program because if one left, then now there's only four boys, right? you know, and 55 girls. And then now there's only two boys and uh-huh. <laughs> 55 girls. And so it be, just kind of became a little bit awkward. Yeah. Uh, it's a really tough balance because on the one hand, we want to give students the academic experience that they want. Um, if they're passionate about biotech, we want to let them pursue biotech. If they feel more passionate about engineering and uh, that component, then we want to give them that experience. Um, but there's also kind of like a, I don't know, I feel like a social obligation to encourage more girls into engineering. Um, because, uh, you know, the girls in my class and the physics and engineering side are really, really strong. Um, they're great students. They help cohere a group together. They bring really strong ideas Um, And there's something satisfying about teaching kids of both genders, all genders, um, how to use a drill and how to use a pipette in biology and how to run a gel electrophoresis and how to um, design a blueprint. Uh, Like all of that, it it works better when it's a more cohesive environment uh, or a more diverse gender environment. So we, we had to kind of go back to the drawing board and really think through like, ooh, what do we do? to encourage a more balanced gender profile in all of our programs. So one of the things we did was we started getting really intentional about which students we asked to represent which programs. So every time we send uh, San Marin students to represent the STEM program, I try to send girls. Um, And the reason I try to send girls is because I already know I'm going to get a bunch of boys. Um, Boys are going to be attracted to it just because it says STEM. And so I want girls to see the representatives are other high school girls, um, preferably high school girls who seem relatable, um, seem like somebody that's like, oh, I could be that person. Like, she seems nice. Um, And I assume it's similar for use with biotech. Yes. And I'm wondering if we... In our outreach to the community, you and I being faces of the programs, what if we switched roles and you went out there representing the biotech and I went out there because I sometimes wonder like maybe I have a lot of girls in biotech because they can relate to me because I'm a a female scientist right again subconsciously yeah exactly so I wonder what difference that would make if we we switched a little bit in terms of our outreach yeah that's a cool idea Um, because that's the one part that we haven't switched right is the adult part yeah Um, now granted uh, in the STEM pathway, half of the teachers are women. Um, we have freshman and senior year with male teachers. 
and then sophomore and junior year are female teachers. Mm -hmm. In the biotech pathway, your sophomore teacher is a man. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have a a balance there with gender of teachers, um, which in our science department, we are not super balanced. Uh, We have 11 science teachers at San Marin and eight of them are women. Um, So we are skewed female. Um, In our math department, uh, also skewed female. I think one male math teacher out of eight, seven, something yes. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are, you know, we're balanced within the programs um, so that there is male and female representation in both programs. Uh, yeah, so we've, we've tried to take some steps to better represent and also to better represent for students of different backgrounds. So if I can send a girl out to the middle schools who is also of a minority background, if she speaks Spanish and is Latina, um, then that's like a huge win. Because now we get, A, like white boys will probably still be able to relate to her. Um, And hopefully some underrepresented students will also relate to that speaker and say like, ah, I could do that too. Yeah, I've done the similar thing with biotech outreach in terms of uh, trying to send diverse students to represent the program. Yeah. Um, Okay, so like students are a huge part of it. And then curriculum uh, is another like key piece. Um, And we talked a little bit about how we've tweaked some curriculum and kind of made it into what we want. Any final thoughts on that? Um, that's always where, you know, as teachers, we're always tweaking our curriculum. So that will continue, continue to evolve. Um, and it continues to evolve because science changes, technology changes. Um, but we, we just learn from year to year what's working for students and what's not working so well. Totally. Um, and that's one of our key pieces, right? Is trying to adapt to cutting edge stuff and really adapt to our students' needs, to be responsive to the skills that they have coming in, so we're not reteaching the same things they can already do, um, and to the skills that they don't have and need to keep working on. Another thing we're always tweaking is the guest speakers and the field trips, uh, exposing our students to work-based learning experiences. Um, So that kind of changes from year to year. And again, in terms of outreach and representation and diversity, you know, trying to get guest speakers in of different genders and different ethnicities uh, is also something that we are always trying to do. Yeah, um, I was at our WISE evening last night. Uh, It stands for Women in Science and Engineering. So every couple months we bring in uh, three female scientists and they kind of hold a panel answering questions about their pathways to get where they currently are and what kind of research or work they're doing as a scientist or engineer. Um, And it was awesome. I I brought my second grade daughter, um, and I think she was the youngest in the audience, but there were a lot of like, you know, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, and high school students there of both genders um, and their parents, Um, you know, skewed more female than male, but it it was great as like a community event and as a way of just kind of giving students exposure to scientists who've taken different pathways. Um, And obviously, we also do that in our classes where we have guest speakers come in and speak to all of our students, not in the evening during class time. Right. And those those conversations and exposures are important because students, when they do science in the classroom, it's so different than what it looks like when you do it in the workplace. And learning science, 
they kind of have this attitude like, well, this was always a fact. We've always known this and this will never change. It will always be the truth. And that's not the way it is at all. Um, and experiments don't always work right the first time. And you don't get famous from having one idea that comes to fruition in a year or five no. years. Um, so for them to see what it's really like is important for them. Yeah, that's one of my favorite ways to open physics is talking about like Sir Isaac Newton and that very cute story about an apple falling and hitting him on the head. And he was like, ah, gravity, I've got it. And how that story is just complete and utter bullshit. Because uh, that is not how science or good ideas happen. Um, you can get hit in the head a bunch of times and it doesn't necessarily help you come up with a good idea. No, and that's the key. Science is all about repetition and, and tedium. And so, yeah, you would literally have to get hit in the head a million times, <laughs> at least a thousand times <laughs> to get enough data to, to, say, a, to, to say something conclusive about gravity. To have a statistically significant <laughs> sample size that you could really make a, a claim. Yes. Yeah, not enough evidence yet after just one <laughs> apple hitting the head. All right. Uh, and on that positive note, uh, Dr. Michelle Lefebvre Burnt, thank you so much for uh, joining us on Teach 'em Up. Thank you very much, Nick.